If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8 as we continue in our study of Romans. Romans chapter 8. title of the message this morning is, If God Before Us. If God Before Us. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you live in confidence or defeat? I really want you to think about that. Do you live in confidence or do you live in defeat? Are you confident that God is with you through every step of everything you do in a given day? Or do you live with a defeatist, pessimistic attitude I said, well, whatever happens, happens. It is what it is. You know, things aren't going to get better. Things aren't going to change. It's not going to improve. Do you live in confidence or you live in defeat? How incredible is it that we have a God who not only loves us, but is with us through everything that we can do. He's with us through thick and thin. Amen? I mean, we really need to think about that as we go through our days, that He is with us. Just let your mind dwell on these upcoming verses just for a moment. If you're one that's prone to worry, I want you to just take for the next few minutes these verses that I'm going to share with you and just really let them sink in for a minute. I'm not going to speed through them like I normally do. Um, I know I talk fast and some of y'all are like, every once in a while, my wife, when we were younger, she used to like go like this while I was preaching. She'd be in the back like, like rein it in, slow it down. And then and early on, Jake used to send me texts as I'm out here, Dad, quit talking so fast. I'm not going to read text while I'm like preaching. I try though. Um, at any rate, but I want you to stop just for a moment and let these verses sink in just for a moment. And I have to know that, you, or you have to know that God's word is so sure. I mean, if I were to ask you this question this morning, do you believe God's word? All of it? Then take it at face value and accept it and believe it. It's one thing to stand up here and say, I'm going to see a victory. But here's the problem. I used to hate that song. I despised that song for a little while. Because I was praying very specifically that God would answer a prayer request in a very specific way. And He didn't. And I'm like, believing this song as I'm praying, and I'm singing it every week, and Nick is leading it, and he introduces this song to us, and I'm like, I hate this song. Until God gave me something better than what I was praying for. The victory didn't come as I wanted it. It came as in a way that he knew that I needed. And it was better. And the reality is, I think sometimes we can sing the words, but if that's all they are is just words, it means nothing. Right? It means nothing. And the reality is that we have to believe God and take Him at His word and put our trust and our faith in Him. I don't care what the circumstance is. God is in control of that. And he just reminded me over and over of that this week. So I'm going to read our text, but then I'm just going to want your minds to just dwell on about eight verses and just let them sink in and meditate on them and let it marinate in your mind just a little bit of how great God is. But I want to be reading verses uh, 31 through 34 this morning in Romans chapter 8. And as I said, I've been reading through the Legacy Standard Bible. I love it. So here it is. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who indeed did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. God, as we come before you this morning, we ask that you would just speak to our hearts. 
And Lord, I pray for anyone that's in this auditorium this morning, Lord, if their heart is heavy, Lord, if they're struggling with circumstances that are going on in their lives, Lord, especially those who may be attacking them, situations that may be attacking them, I ask God that they may find their strength, their source of hope in you, Lord, and that you would speak to them, that you would be near to them, that, Lord, that your presence would be felt by them. And I ask God that you would help us to have greater faith as a result of these verses. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Just on the, on the outset, before we get started reading through some of these verses, I don't understand this completely. What shall we say to these things? If God before us, who is against us? There's already a presupposition that there is a struggle. That there, there, are, there are those who are coming against them. That the things are not easy. But when you look at verse 32, he who indeed did not spare his own son, I mean, he had to go that far to like, like give his son to come to our defense? Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Yeah, they're out there. There are people who are going to bring the attacks. And there are times that we feel like the attacks are overwhelming. That there's just no hope in sight. That there's just no light at the end of the tunnel. But God. If God is for us. So just, just think about that for a moment. So Psalm 37, one, Psalm 37.1 Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward doers of unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but you look around the world around us and you think all these people who are not living for God, they don't know God, they don't do anything positive for God, and it seems like they're the ones that are prospering. They're the ones that are things that are just going so good for them. And it just says here, be not envious toward the doers of unrighteousness. There is nothing about them, because everything in this life is what? It's temporal. It's not going to last. It is just temporary. So he says, don't be envious of them. But the first part of the verse says, do not fret. So is that a suggestion? No. Is it a recommendation? No. Is it just something that might be a good idea for us to consider? No. He says, do not fret. It's a command that we should obey. In other words, don't let your mind go where it doesn't need to go because we have God. Right? Do not fret. Don't do it. Say, well, it's easier said than done. Yes, it is. And sometimes we have to go to God ten times a day and say, God, I need your help. I really am worried about this situation, but God, I'm going to trust you. And you just keep telling yourself and telling yourself, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to take you at your word and just do it. Matthew 6, 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Answer, rhetorical question is, no one. You can worry about it and worry about it and worry about it. It doesn't change a thing. Right? Complain doesn't do any good. Griping about circumstances doesn't do any good. I mean, you can get mad as you want, and it's not going to change. There are things that you cannot control, and you'll never be able to control it. And all you do is worry, and as we say often, you know, you worry about this person who did this or that, and they're not, you know, all it's doing is taking space in your brain. And it's costing you, and they don't even care about it. Luke 12, 26. Therefore, if you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Isn't that amazing? He says, if you can't do anything about it, why are you worried about it? Things that are out of your control. Things that you have no ability to to sway anybody in. You can't change the outcome. So why do you worry about it? Now, shame on you if you have the ability to do something and you're not doing it because you're lazy or just procrastinate or whatever, shame on you. But the things that you can't control, why do you sit there and worry about it? 
He says, don't worry about it. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for the important things. Oh, wait a minute. I read that wrong, sorry. It says, be anxious for nothing. Nothing. What's included in nothing? Everything. It's something you're not to worry about. But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But rather take those things to God and let Him deal with it. So, what are we worried about? Who's in control of everything? Not me. Not the weatherman. Not the politician. It's God. God's Word says, even the king's heart is in his hand. God knows what's going on. He doesn't wake up this morning, as I used to say, and scratch his head and say, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. God knows all things. And if he knows all things, let's trust him for the outcome of all things. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting most of your problems on him because he cares for you. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> got, got these glasses on that were quite working this morning. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Everything. Are you willing to cast everything on him? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a man. I like to control stuff. Some of you women, too, you're control freaks, too, just like us guys are. We've got a problem, we see what we can do to fix it. I'm going to push my point, I'm going to push my way, I'm going to push my opinion, I'm going to push my thoughts, my ideas, my agenda, because I can control this. No, you can't. It says, casting all your cares on Him, all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. And He cares for you like no one else. Like no one else. Proverbs 3.25, Do not be afraid of sudden dread, nor of the storm of the wicked when it comes. Think about that storm of the wicked. I don't know who you want to put in that category or what you want to put in that category, but I just have to believe it's all around us. There's wickedness all around us. And he says this, Don't be afraid of the sudden dread nor the storm of the wicked. Not if. He says when. So guess what? None of us are going to escape it. It's around us. Proverbs 12.25 Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. How many think that when you're always, when you're worried and depressed and frustrated and anxious that you just don't feel like doing anything else? Because it's heavy on you. It's like a weight that you're not meant to bear. And yet it's holding you back. It's frustrating you. He says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. But a good word makes it glad. One more. Psalm 55.22 Cast your burden upon Yahweh and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. So, are any of these verses conditional? Are any of them kind of dependent upon my response to circumstances? I would say yes. See, my position is not to worry about everything else. My responsibility is to trust God. My responsibility is to walk in obedience. My responsibility is to let God have His will and His way. My job is not to control the outcomes. But it's what my flesh wants to do. It's what my heart desires to do. Because it is wicked. Above all things and desperately wicked, the God's Word says. And by the way, yours is too. All of mankind's is. And because we are bent to do evil, and we are bent to do wickedness apart from God and the Holy Spirit living within us, 
we are going to worry, we're going to fret, we're going to be anxious, we're going to try to control the circumstances to make them come out the way we want them. But I love all these verses because it feeds right into our text today. So in verse 31, it says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And now the word that comes to my mind is care. God cares for us. He immensely cares for us, deeply cares for us. He's concerned about how we live our lives. In Psalm chapter 27, verse 1, it says, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh, the Lord, is a strong defense in my life. Of whom shall I dread? We can go about life all worried and upset and frustrated. And once again, it accomplishes nothing but weighs us down. Um, some of us talk about a guardian angel. I, I don't know how biblical that is. I don't think it is really. But we kind of nonchalantly talk about our guardian angel who protects us. Let me just tell you, God is our protector. He says He's our light and salvation. In other words, the world around us, God alludes to light as overcoming the darkness that is in this world, the sin-filled world that we live in, right? He is a light, so He guides us. He saves us. And then he says, whom shall I fear? He's a strong defense. He can do in our lives what we cannot do for ourselves in our lives. He says, whom shall I dread? So the question is, whom, and I would say practically what, are you dreading? What is it that you dread? What is it that you fear? What is it that is occupying space in your brain that God says, give it to me, I'll take care of it? Whatever it is. In Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and the mountains shake into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its lofty pride. And then he uses that word, Selah. And that word, Selah, in Psalms means to just stop, think about it, and meditate upon it. And you know what I find hinders that? The hurried, busy life that we live. So, I know for me, there's a million things going on at once. Phone's always going off, text is always going off, someone's always sending me an email, and there's like just nonstop. And so I decided this year to help me keep on track with my Bible reading, I was going to get the U version thing, and every day it tells me what I need to read to get through the year, and I've been going through that, I've been... So far, I'm up to date perfectly. Perfectly. I'm loving this. But I find every day it's a struggle to get my reading in. It's a struggle. You know, guess what? When I'm reading, I enjoy it. In fact, to read my six chapters a day or whatever it is, it's not hard. It probably takes me 15 to 20 minutes. And who of us doesn't have 15 to 20 minutes to give to the Lord in reading the Bible through? And I'm not saying you have to read the Bible through, but who of us doesn't have a little bit of time every day to read, for, read God's Word and to draw close to Him and learn what He has for you to learn that day? Who of us? We can all find 20 minutes, right? Yeah, okay, thank you, so do it. Um, so you have this few minutes that you're reading through, but you know what? Getting to the point that you just do it and make it a priority it seems like there's a million things that vie for your attention. A million things. Anybody else ever realize that? 
And next thing you know, you're behind four days. Anybody felt that pressure? And then you just say, well, skip it. I'm just, I'm, I'm four days out. That's 20 chapters. I can't get caught up. I just quit. Don't be a quitter. Get back on it. So I traveled down to Indiana for a couple days for a, for a funeral, and I catch myself like, oh, goodness, I'm two days behind. Or three days behind because of the travel and everything. I stayed up till 2 in the morning because I wanted to get caught up. I wanted to be on top of it. Here's my point with all this. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains shake into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its lofty pride. You have to sit there and meditate on it and draw close to Him. I've used this illustration a thousand times over the years. When you're up on the third floor of the house and your wife is in the basement and you're yelling at each other, can you hear each other? No. How do you have the ability to hear each other? You've got to get close. One of you has got to leave the upstairs and the other one's got to come upstairs. And when you're face to face, you can hear what each other is saying. Only then can communication take place. And remember, communication is two ways, both giving and receiving. So it's only when you are drawing close to God and in His presence can you clearly hear what He has for you. Just sit and think about that for a moment. When he says he's a very present help in trouble, I don't know how he's going to do it. doesn't matter how he's going to do it. I just believe he's going to. Because he said it. And I'm going to take his, take his word at face value that he says he's going to be a help in the present time of trouble. He's there. I'm going to dwell on that. God, I, am, I don't know how you're going to do it, but God, I just trust you're going to do it. Increase my faith. Increase my trust. God, just help me to be dependent on you. God, I don't know what you're going to do, but I just know you're going to do it. But it's only when you're in, pre- in His presence. And what's He say? When you're underneath the shadow of the Almighty, when you're under His wings, it says no man can pluck you out. You're there in His safety. There's safety by drawing close. But let me tell you this. Psalm 46, 1-3, it really radiates your decision. It is a decision to draw close. He ain't going to make you do it. But the blessings of doing it are wonderful. Psalm 56.9 says, Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, this I know that God is for me. I love that phrase. This I know that God is for me. Isn't that an awesome phrase? Psalm 56.9, the second part. This I know. Do you know that? I can remember growing up in 4th, 5th, 6th grade, I was into dirt bike riding back when I could ride one of those things. 8th grade, 10-speeds came along, and I became a 10-speed rider, big bike. But when I was younger, I was into the dirt bikes, the freestyling you, you see on the TV and the you know, quarter pipes going up sides of friends' houses in the garages. and everything. Yeah, we rode on top bikes on top of garages through fire, everything. We, did, we were crazy. We were dumb. I'd kill my kids if they did that. Well, we were dumb, young. But you know, I remember that 80-acre field that, or 70-acre field that was behind our house growing up, we made it into a big racetrack. And we were out there building jumps. I'm not kidding you. Some of them were 6 foot, 8 foot, 10 foot tall. Some of them, every summer we had ambulances out there in the back of our yard. I'm not kidding you. Broken arms, broken legs. I mean, ribs. Yeah, it wasn't cool. But we did it. We thought it was cool. Every once in a while, you get somebody who wasn't part of our group. Somebody start picking on you. Somebody that just thought that they were just cool. 
Somebody would like to try to push their weight around. We didn't worry. You know why? I had a big brother. My big brother's going to come to my defense. And if somebody got a little bit mouthy, I'd run back and get my brother John. I mean, my house is only 200 yards that way. I'd get on my bike, John, there's this guy over there. He's picking on us. And John would just come out and walk out with us. There was no fear. I mean, none when my big brother was around. Now he's my little brother. Um, here's the deal. It says, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. When you are facing opposition, and I don't care what the opposition is, when you call on God, He all of a sudden becomes the overriding force. He all of a sudden becomes the giant big brother. He automatically becomes the one who will come to your defense. Why? This I know that God is for me. He's not going to let the enemy win. Not if you trust him. Not if you depend on him. And in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 6, he says this, So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? There's a key word there. It says confidently. Do we have confidence that God is there for us? See, the more times you rely on Him, the more times He comes through, the more confident you will be. But it's got to start somewhere. And it starts with just saying, God, I give it to you. Whatever it is. As we come into verse 32, it says, He who indeed did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give all things? Think about this. If I were to ask you, what is your most valuable possession that you have? What is, your, your, what is it that is of greatest value that you own, that is in your presence? I think for every one of us in this auditorium, if we're honest with ourselves, it's going to be our family, right? It's not the car. It's not the house. It's not the bank account. It's none of those things. The greatest thing that we have are the relationships that we have, and especially with those within our own home. It's our children. It's our spouse. It's our loved ones, Right? That's the most prized thing that we have, at least if you're normal, I think that's true, right? It's what we value the most. Think about this. He who indeed did not spare His own Son, since He was willing to give His most valuable gift to us, you can know for certain that He will not spare anything for you. If He was willing to give His greatest possession... His only, His only Son. You can be certain that He will not spare anything for you. Isn't that awesome? He did not even spare His only Son. Think about this. When we pray, I won't take the time to go through all these Scriptures, but think about this. In John it says... If we go before the Father, whom we love and whom loves us, and we pray in His will, He gives us what we desire. The problem is, we want what we want. Our flesh wants what it wants, rather than trusting God to give us what we need. He did not even spare His own Son. 
And look at verse 33. This is where it gets really interesting. It says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Now, in verse 33, this is a continuation of the previous verse here. It's actually a legal term meaning to bring a formal charge against. Who is going to bring a formal charge, a legitimate, real charge against God's elect? You know what the answer to that is? Satan. Satan tries to do this when God's children willfully sin. See, there are times that even though we are saved, even though we are walking with God, even though we are wanting to do what's right, we flub. Anybody agree? I wish I didn't have to, but goodness, there are times I just mess up. Talk to my kids. Talk to my wife. It's a reality, though I try not to. There are days I just fail. And Satan would love nothing more than to take that failure, that setback, and use it against you. And bring that charge against you. But here's the thing. God is the one who justifies. You know what that means? God legally dismisses the case. Satan wants to bring a charge against you. God says, "Uh uh-uh. Dismissed. Non-existent. Because he justifies. You know what the practical definition of justified is? Just as if I'd never sinned. He dismisses the case against us. One of my favorite characteristics of God is His forgiveness. God chooses to forgive us every time we confess our sins. And I don't know about you, but maybe some days it just seems like it's a constant flow of communication. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then you walk out of the, I walk away from a situation and I was like, I just did it again. God, please forgive me. Help me keep my mouth shut. God, just help me keep my mouth shut. And that's an act of God in itself and a miracle. But you walk away and it's like, oh, there it goes again. It's just like, right? And he says every time, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that. One of my favorite characteristics of God is His forgiveness. He's the justifier. He's willing to forgive us. But I love it. Coupled with three other things. His patience, His long-suffering, and His forbearance. Add those three, spot, those three characteristics next to His forgiveness. That's powerful. Patience. He is patient with us. Aren't you glad that as soon as you don't... you know, it, It's not like... God's just up there with his thumb right there. He's like, go ahead, mess up, mess up. <laughs> That's not God. I thought that was God in my youth. I lived in fear that God was just going to demolish me if I did something wrong. I, I walked with God out of fear of getting hurt. For so many years, I didn't understand God's grace. And I just felt like God was just right there, just waiting for <clears throat> He's patient. How many of us have done something wrong and you didn't realize that what you did was wrong right when you did it? And all of a sudden, a day or two later, you realize that, wow, that was not the best. I'm glad God's patient. And then long-suffering. He, he, he's, he's patient and waiting because He gives us those opportunities to remind us that what we did was wrong and remind us that we need to take care of that. But He doesn't judge us and condemn us and, and punish us immediately for what we did. And then forbearing, 
when you add these things together, God is gracious. He's merciful. And he says that his graces and his mercies are new every day. He dismisses the case that the devil would love to bring against us. And then verse 34, who is the one who condemns? Think about this for a minute. Who's the only one that can legitimately judge me? Who's the only one who can legitimately condemn me? God. You can say all you want against me. It doesn't really matter. I don't really care. But God, His Word means something. Right? You might not like what I do. You might not like what I say. You might be upset over what I did or said. But you can't really do anything about it. But we worry about it. We fret about it. We get anxious about it. When God is the only one who can condemn. Romans 8.1 kind of clarifies that too. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. You want to get on the wrong side? Go for it. Deal with, talk to Him about it. And by the way, the old song, you can talk about me as much as you please as long as you do it down on your knees. Please do. Please do. I need those prayers. And if I'm wrong, I want God to show me that I'm wrong. Do it through prayer. Because that's where the power lies. It's Christ Jesus who died. It's He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who will intercede for us. Remember what we looked at a couple weeks ago? Two weeks ago? Verses 26 and 27. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Remember that word intercede? Just think about it just for a moment. I'll remind you. That word intercede literally means three things. If I can remember them. There's a sense of urgency. You're approaching the one who can do something about it. And he'll give the result that is best for us. Put that in the context of this next passage here. In verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is at the right hand of God? He's right there pleading for us. With a sense of urgency with a sense of knowing what to do because He's the one that can handle the outcome. He's there interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. With this we'll close. Hebrews 10, 12 says, But He, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. I mean, think about that just for a moment. He took care of the sin cost. He took care of it. That's why we read in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood there is no what? Remission, no forgiveness of sins. He took care of it. He wiped the slate clean. So question, if God is for us, who could be against us? If we're willing to put our total dependency on God... Why do we worry about everyone else and everything else? If God is the one who's able to take care of circumstances in our life, why do we try to interfere with what He's doing? 
because I think sometimes we don't trust him as we ought. We're not drawing close to him as we ought. We don't really believe that he's that powerful. Maybe in our talking we do, but do we live it out day to day? I don't know about you, but that's a struggle. And I think we've got to come back to saying, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to take you at your word. And I'm going to trust you. If God is for us, and I believe he is, what do we have to fear? There's all kinds of circumstances around us. There's all kinds of situations. But we need to trust God. Amen? Lord, as we come before you this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord God, I know that there are people in this auditorium that are struggling with circumstances, with situations, with people. With sit- Lord, they're, they're, they don't know how to, to deal with it. Lord, they've let the frustrations overwhelm them. And Lord, they don't know how to deal with it. And I ask God that you would do a work in our lives. Before we sing for a moment this morning, before we sing, as our heads bowed and our eyes are closed, how many of you would be honest enough to say, hey, I feel like there's an enemy. I feel like there's a circumstance. I feel like there's a situation that is overwhelming, that is too difficult, too great for me to bear, and I'm struggling with it. If you're in that category, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Yes. Yes. All around the auditorium. Nobody is exempt. We're all dealing with situations, things that we would not choose, things that we would not pick if it were up to us. But God, for whatever reason, has allowed them. And as we saw last week, He allows what He allows because He's doing a work in our life. Can I just challenge you? Maybe this morning, you need to take a minute and recommit your walk with God. Take a minute and say, God, I afresh and anew commit my faithfulness to you, my obedience to you, my trust in you to do what I cannot do. Can I challenge you to take a moment and pray? I mean, he who indeed did not spare his own son but delivered him. If God is not willing to even keep back his own son, that means he is not willing to keep back anything from you. He loves you that much. He is for you. I love that one verse I looked at. This I know. This I know that God is for me. Just take a moment and pray. This I know that God is for me. I love that verse. Can I say one more thing as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed? This all stems from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a lot of this will mean nothing. So they're encouraging verses. Big whoop. If you don't know Jesus, these verses can't impact your life like they would if you did have a relationship with Him. So what does that mean? It means at some point... You're going to have to acknowledge that you're a sinner and that Christ died for your sins. 
and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and put your faith and trust in him alone. Some of you may have heard that a thousand times and have done nothing with it. You've heard it over and over again, but you've never come to that place where you're willing to admit that you're a sinner and that Christ died for your sins and ask Him for forgiveness and put your trust in Him. Maybe today is the day that you should do that so that you can sense the strength that comes from knowing and walking with Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we're almost through. Do you know Jesus? If you're here this morning and you say, I'm not really sure, I don't know if I really... I'm a child of God. I don't know if I really have a relationship. Can I challenge you to pray this simple prayer? My prayer will not save you. It cannot save you. But if you want to pray and trust Jesus, I can lead you in that prayer. I can tell you how to pray. But it's your faith. It's your trust that changes everything. It's a simple prayer. And if you want to pray that this morning, it's this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross to save me from my sin. And I ask you to forgive me. And I call on you to be my Savior. I put my faith, my trust in you. And help me to walk a life that would be pleasing to you. As the heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you say, Pastor Ken, I prayed that prayer this morning. Anyone like that? Love nothing more than to pray for you. I'll not call you out, not embarrass you. You say, Pastor Ken, I prayed that prayer. Anyone like that this morning? If you don't have a relationship, none of these verses matter. That's where it starts. Let's all stand to our feet. Lord God, I pray that you be with each one who's here this morning. Lord, as we're looking around the auditorium this morning, Lord, there are many who acknowledge that there's, a, there's an enemy, there's a situation, there's a frustration, there's a circumstance. And God, how we need you to work in these things that we cannot do ourselves. God, we need you. Lord, your word is very clear. If God is for us, who is against us? And God, we know that you're for us as your children. I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. Be with each one, Lord, who's struggling. May they sense your presence this week. May they sense victory in walking with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.